starting a series called Epicenter, as you just saw in the introduction there, and uh, behind the title is the acknowledgement that Jesus is at the center of everything. And that Jesus is lifted above everything. Now, there are folks who will live in light of that and acknowledge that. And there's folks that won't. But when it's all said and done, he is still Lord over all. And it's so important for us as a church. It's so important for us as individual followers of Christ to recognize and understand that we need to be intentional to keep Jesus at the epicenter and to keep Jesus in focus in uh, all the happenings of our lives. So we're going to be looking at that over these next couple of weeks. There's going to be some of the other pastors, you know, tag team preaching on this. But here today, I want to talk about Jesus over all things. And so we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. We'll look at some other places as well, but we're going to follow through uh, these several verses, and we're going to look at uh, different things that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, spoke to the Colossian church about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. So let's take a look. Let's start in verse 15 of Colossians 1. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Wow, that's some pretty weighty stuff. It's pretty sobering things that we just looked at. And, and, And my prayer for us this morning and certainly beyond is that we carry a fresh wonder and awe over Christ and the place that he has in all things and that that would affect the place that he has in every day of our lives moving forward. So because Christ is supreme, nothing else should be distracting us from him. We have to get rid of anything that keeps us from glorifying Christ. You know, it's said that Leonardo da Vinci told a friend uh, to come and see the painting of the Last Supper. And he wanted him to give a, a critical look at the masterpiece. And so the friend came and looked at it and he remarked, the most striking thing in the picture is the cup. You know, the cup at the table. Not, not the disciples, not the Lord, the cup. With that, the artist, is, we're told, took his brush and wiped out the cup, saying nothing in this painting shall attract more attention than the face of my master. Wow. You, you know, we ought to be living that way as well. We have to remove anything that draws us away from him or takes his place. And maybe even like Leonardo da Vinci, we have to take our brush and wipe away things in our lives that take greater preeminence than uh, he has in display in our lives. Because oftentimes things get busy, uh, we get distracted, you know, there's the pull of what's going on in our world, there's our own, you know, flesh nature that we battle, and so whether it's, you know, schoolwork, business, home, hobbies, friendships, relationships, wherever it is, Christ can get marginalized from our lives. 
Uh, and, and so Paul is talking here uh, how special Christ is and why he must be first. So, so the doctrine, when we talk about this in theology and doctrine, we talk about the preeminence of Christ. So hey, just go ahead and say that, preeminence. So that's what we're going to look at here from Colossians, several different reasons and why Christ is, above all, reasons why he is preeminent. All right, so let's start with verse 15, and we're going to start with this thought. Christ is preeminent because he is the image of God. Again, it says in that verse, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. So Jesus reveals the Father to us. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, the word image is akon, and it means an exact representation and revelation. So interesting, right? When we read in Genesis about the creation of humanity, uh, talking about Adam and us as human beings, it said God made uh, us as people in the image of God. But when it talks about Christ here, it says he is the image of God. You know, so we carry a, a similarity. Jesus is the representation of what God looks like. Can you say amen? So, you know, in the word, Adam is called the first Adam. In, you know, in the image, Jesus is called the second Adam, who is the image of the Father. So he's God in flesh. To see Jesus is to see God. Now, of course, we, we recognize uh, that, that he's called here the invisible God. So when we're talking about seeing God in Jesus, you know, it's not saying that, you know, God's got a beard somewhere and all of that, right? It, it's talking about revelation of God's character, his attributes, his divinity. And so a couple of verses to look at here where Jesus is talking and acknowledging this point we're talking about. John chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. John 14, 9, Jesus answered. So Philip is saying to Jesus, this is one of the disciples who's been walking with Jesus, and he says, hey, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And so Jesus answered here in verse 9, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So in Christ, God was manifest in ways that were not clearly seen before in the Old Testament. You know, for instance, uh, it, it wasn't a really clear picture and understanding of, of who God was as a servant. And yet, when we think of all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, everlasting, you know, God has chosen because of his love for you and I. He has chosen to make himself a servant because we couldn't save ourselves. We needed a savior. And so the Savior comes as a servant, not to be served, it says in the word, but to serve us and, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Christ is this beautiful picture and this revelation. In the Old Testament, God would reveal himself through the prophets. It's a very interesting study when we look at God's names, how God would reveal himself with these compound names. You know, Jehovah, you know, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, Jehovah God, uh, the God who was, is, and will be. Like he, he would say, I'm, I'm Jehovah. Jehovah Rapha, that is the Lord, your healer. I was, I am, I will be your healer. You know, so there's all these ways that God was showing us who he is. But now in Jesus, we see the fullest and clearest picture to where Jesus can say, hey, you're, you're seeing me and you're seeing the Father. Now, Jesus also revealed the Father through his teaching. 
John 14, 10, Jesus said, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So through his personhood, through uh, the way he walked out life, and through his teaching, we get to see the Father through Jesus. All right, the second thing we see in Colossians, this is now the second half of verse 15. Uh, Let's read it again and go on to the second half. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Now, the first thing we need to acknowledge uh, uh, to understand what this verse is trying to tell us, when we think firstborn in our, in our modern understanding, we would, we would think in a timeline, the first one to come along, right? That's sort of what firstborn, you know, we, we would acknowledge. But actually, that's not at all what this verse is saying. In the Jewish and Greco-Roman world, firstborn had to do strictly with rank and supremacy. Amen. So David is called the firstborn, the highest of the king, uh, the highest of kings of the earth. He was not literally the firstborn in his family. He was actually way on down. Uh, so David was firstborn in terms of priority, superiority, and rank. So Paul is pointing out that Jesus has a unique relationship to both God and creation. He's exalting Jesus again as preeminent, the eternal Son of God by whom all things were created. So, you know, when we read in the Old Testament, you know, you know, in the beginning God created. Now we have a greater revelation and understanding. It was by and through the Son. It was by and through the eternally existent Son of God, second member of the Trinity, that at God's appointed time took on flesh, became a man, lived on the earth, lived a sinless life, and died on a cross so that we could be ransomed and reconciled back to God. Amen? So he is creator. All things, including uh, all, uh, everything in heaven, on earth, whether visible or invisible. As a matter of fact, I read verse 15. Let me go on and continue into verse 16 because it, it unpacks a little bit more on what this picture is of him over all of creation. Verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this picture lets us understand uh, that this is including heaven and earth, visible, invisible. Because Christ is creator and and in and through all these things, uh, through him all these things happened, think about a creator. There is no creator that creates something without a purpose. So everyone in this room, everyone who's watching on our online campus, you have been created by a creator for a purpose. There's a purpose that each and every one of us has for our lives. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, hey, wouldn't it be kind of foolish for us to live life without knowing and submitting to the will of the creator? After all, we we would have to trust, doesn't he ultimately know what's best for our lives, right? So can you see how stopping to pause on this will really cause us to maybe push away some of the junk, some of the things that press in on our lives and, and, and have our faith stirred up in our heart to say, 
Jesus, you created all things in you, through you, by you, for you are all things. I'm, I'm part of the all things, which means you created me. You know my purpose. Lord, I think I'll seek you to know that purpose. Another great thought uh, that, that we can take away from understanding this is we can seek him for wisdom about everything. We can seek him for wisdom. Wouldn't we want to go to the one who created it all, that knows it better? And, and man, when we think about people who spend their lives searching for wisdom, searching for understanding, wanting to know mysteries and secret things and the lengths that people will go to. Colossians 2 verses 2 and 3 says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Listen to this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all hidden in Christ. So if we make that determination, I'm going to know him, I'm going to love him, I'm going to walk with him, and as I do, I'm walking with the one who in him has all wisdom, all knowledge, all, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is stored up in him. Wow. Lord, may our hearts be stirred up and, and, and have a fresh sense of awe as we look at Jesus here today. Third thought that we can look at now from verse 17. says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So again, we said earlier that he's firstborn, and that didn't have to do with him on a timeline being first, you know, being created, because there, there was certainly some, some heresy and some doctrine error um, as early as the book of Acts, actually, and, and going on through the centuries that, that would say things like that. Paul clears it up right here. He's saying, hey, before there was a timeline, he was. You know, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this speaks of Christ's uh, being eternal. Uh, he's not a created being. He existed before anything was created, and he had eternally existed as part of the Godhead. John chapter 1, verse 1 says it so beautifully this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Christ is exalted over all of creation. So not only was he, you know, before the beginning, but how about this one? He is holding everything together. Do you know scientists to this day don't understand what holds the universe together? I mean, people with alphabet letters, doctorates, and, and all kinds of degrees and all that after their name scratching their heads saying, we don't understand scientifically how it all holds together. Guess what? You do. It's Jesus that holds it all together, right? It's laid out right here in the Word of God. And isn't it mind-blowing to know that the person who's most shaking their fist in God's face, the person who's living the most evil on this planet, the grace of God is on that person's life, that even for them, it's all being held together. And it also gives us greater understanding. We're not going to dive into this today, but we're going to be talking about Jesus and our future in, in another message. And we recognize there is coming a time where this is going to all pass away. You know, this, this, uh, this era of life that we're living in, it's a passing on through. It's, it's, not, it's not an eternal type of a thing that's happening here. You are, 
I am, but this world, it's all going to burn, it's all going to pass away, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's real easy when you're the one that holds it all together, right? You're the one who created it, put it all together. Pretty, pretty exciting stuff. So let, let's point this inward for a minute. What does this mean for you and I to know that he is the sustainer of everything? I mean, if molecules and atoms and universe and stars and cosmos and galaxies and all these things are being held together. How many know he's got you? How many know, right? He, if he can handle all that, glory to God, he can handle the stuff that I'm going through every day. The writer of Hebrews says something similar in uh, Hebrews 1.3. He says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So this very much mirrors what we just saw about being the image of God, sustaining all things. Now a little more insight by his powerful word, by his word. Wow, it's all being held together. So hey, we don't have to worry. We, we are in Christ, we give our lives to him and now we can turn to him. Brings more power and insight when Jesus said, hey, make your prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It makes more sense in the power of he, him saying, ask in my name and believe it, and it's done. Asking in the name of the one who holds it all together, the one through whom it was created, for whom it was all created. So man, I pray, somebody as they were worshiping this morning sh- kind of shouted out on the side, no fear, you know, as we're worshiping. How about we just live in a way in this, this crazy season where it's, it's such a, a yo-yo of, of turmoil all around us to know he is my sustainer. He has me. We're going to get through the other side. We're going to be just fine because it's him who holds us in his hands. Let, let's look to the next thing that we're encouraged to see about Christ being preeminent. And this is in verse 18, and it's acknowledging that he is the head of the church. It says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So let's talk about the first part of this verse. He is the head of the body, the church. So there's, there's a lot of different metaphors that we get uh, about us as followers of Christ, as, as uh, disciples of Jesus, right, as Christians. But this picture of us being the body of Christ and Jesus being the head, this is a, a rich metaphor. Let's look at a couple of important things that we should understand. Number one, it represents Jesus having leadership over the body. So right, the head has the brain and that controls the rest of the body. That's why the church has to live in the word, right? We have to be people, like it says in Joshua, meditate in the word day and night so we know it, so we can be careful to do everything it tells us to do. By the way, it goes on to say, and then our way will be prospered and we'll have good success. Wow, because we're listening to the creator. We're listening to the one who holds it all together, right? And, and we can live in, in alignment with what he says so his blessing can flow, so he can be at work in our lives. So we need to be filled with the word, but we also need to worship him. We need to know him. We need to pray. We need to seek him. And as we do that in our day-to-day lives, we're walking in line with the head of the church. It's also a, a solemn reminder, Jesus being the head, that the pastor is not the head of the church. The denomination is not the head of the church. Uh, the, the state is not the head of the church. There's only one head, and it's Jesus. He's Lord, and he's Lord over his church. Th- this metaphor also speaks of Christ uh, being the head and, and that representing life, 
right? We, we haven't seen a whole lot of people that are doing well with the whole life thing if the head's not attached to the body, right? Kind of need that, you know? So it represents life. And, and Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In, in another metaphor, it's represented, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You have to abide in me. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, he actually says, ask what you will and it'll be done for you. He's saying, as you so live in line with me and you know my heart and you know my way and you know my will, you can speak out in faith and it's going to be honored and, and mountains will even move as we're abiding in him. See, that's a cool doctrine, but for that to be translated into lifestyle, we have to abide in the vine, right? It's a part of us needing to abide in him. All right, and then another thing, this, this metaphor of headship uh, over the body, it represents mutual dependence, and that's not to insist that God needs to depend on us for anything, but God has chosen to depend on us as it relates to his work in the earth. I just want to let that soak in for a second. The all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, eternal God has chosen to limit himself to do his work on the earth through us. And if that doesn't breathe something into purpose for our lives, if that doesn't breathe something into mission for our lives to recognize that his desire, his plan on reaching the whole world is, is through you, through me, through his people. And so God has chosen to partner with mankind to build his kingdom. In every nation or country where the church, think about this, where it's not present the presence of Christ is not manifest because his body is not there. Christ has chosen the church to be the physical manifestation of his presence in a dying, lost, hurting world. And Christ has chosen to eternally knit himself together to the church. And, and that means one of the wonderful privileges we have that we'll read all over the New Testament is this term, in Christ. Because if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know he lives inside you. And now you are in Christ. And I would challenge you, if you've never done this before, roll through your New Testament. Grab a highlighter and, and, and highlight every place where it says, in Christ, in him, by him, through him. All those different verses, because that's talking about you. And there are incredible privileges. There are sobering things about, you, you know, the, the mission that we have. It's really an incredible study, you know, because God has chosen to work on the earth through us. And it reminds us of our need to pray, to preach the gospel, to serve so that Christ can receive glory. So it, it's fair enough to say it this way. And if we don't pray and we don't preach the gospel and we don't serve, where's his glory coming from? It's not coming, right? So we want to talk about something that can motivate us to live all out for him, to live all out the life that he's intended for us to live. This is remembering this stuff. Man, if I don't, right? There's, there's that quote, I've been hearing it a lot lately, you know, uh, something to this effect of, uh, I don't have it exactly memorized, but it, it's this effect that all it takes for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing, Right? All it takes for God's kingdom to not advance, let's put it this way, the only reason God's kingdom will not advance is if God's people do nothing. Wow. Yet we recognize on the other side, if God's people walk in, in, in him and, and just walk out what he's called us to, all of hell can't stop it. 
All of hell can't stop. It has tried for a couple thousand years to snuff out God's kingdom. And under some of the worst travesty and persecution, uh, the church only explodes and multiplies and compounds. It just, it's just incredible when we, when we watch how this whole thing works. So, and, and so when the body is disobedient, we need to recognize it brings dishonor to Christ. So I say that today to, to sharpen us, also to really, really stir our hearts to know, oh, Lord God, you want to do it through me? You want to do it through us? How exciting that we get to be your partners. You know, and, and when we talk about this, this series, Epicenter, right, it is so important for us to, we will drift from keeping him in center place if we're not intentional to do that. And we see it all around us in the world, in the church. If we forget he's the head of the church, we start thinking we can change doctrine. We start thinking we can change Christ's emphasis and mission. We start thinking that we can run things, God forbid, without his leadership. And that's why we see the church many times shipwrecked or anemic rather than walking out showing the world what he's like. Can you say amen? All right, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 18, Christ is preeminent because of his resurrection. So we looked at the first part of verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Let's go on. It says now, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So wow, what an incredible thing. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here is a place, although firstborn, we've already established that term is acknowledging his supremacy. He is also the first one to rise from the dead. And guess what? You're going to rise from the dead too because of what he did. Pretty exciting. In the Old Testament, there was a couple of instances of people being raised from the dead Even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But you know what? Those people, they were raised from the dead. They still died. Jesus rose from the dead and he's going to live forever. And guess what? The same thing is going to happen for you. Now it's really sobering. Actually, that is a truth for all of humanity. There will be a resurrection of everybody at the end of the age. And, And those who have received Christ as Lord will have a resurrection in eternal life. Those who have not uh, will, will receive punishment, which is why the Lord says, and, and right, doesn't the word tell us he doesn't want anybody to perish? You know, so that's why he says we got to go out and make it known that God loved us, that God sent his son, and that in him we can have everlasting life. All right, so we're going to come in for a landing here. The, the last one uh, we'll look at here before we start to close. Christ is preeminent, verse 19, because he's sufficient. Again, it goes on and it says, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of his fullness dwell in him. In Colossians 2 verse 9 it says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So interesting, fullness means the totality of divine power, of God's attributes. So it's not just the fullness of God, it's the whole fullness. That's literally what this word is trying to say. I mean, mean, for me, full is full, right? It's not just full, it's the whole fullness, just, just to really accent the point. All right, and then finally, as we, as we close, let's close on this thought. And what I'd like to do, we looked at verses four, uh, 15 to 19. Let's go back and look at verse 14 and verse 20, because they, they talk about Christ's redemptive work, Christ redeeming us on the cross. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. That was verse 14 and verse 20. So while the divine and the human united in one person, in Jesus Christ, the purpose of him taking on flesh and becoming man was so that all things could be reconciled to himself. Right? That's why in Mark it says, it doesn't say go preach the gospel to all people. It says preach the gospel to all creation. I think that's so cool how that said, because all of creation was affected by the fall. All of creation is affected by what Jesus did on the cross. But again, all of this current age, it's going to pass away, but you and I, we're going to live eternally. And Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So we are about as politically incorrect in America as we have ever been. We, are, uh, we worship political correctness. And as followers of Christ, as followers of the Word of God, I imagine in the days to come, it is going to be more and more costly for us to say this, but we must speak the truth. There is no other way to heaven but by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father by him. It sounds cozy. It sounds kumbaya to say all roads lead to God. It sounds nice and polite to say all truth is truth. Jesus addressed it. He, he, like, like, like knowing it's going to get real unpopular down the road to say there is a truth. Not there is many truths. Not in a world where we can say there's two contradictory truths. But supreme is that I'm to just let you do your thing and me do my thing. That's cool on a certain level. But when we're talking about eternity, Jesus is saying, I'm loving you enough to let you know those other things are false. Those other things will not get your sins forgiven, will not get you reconciled and ransomed back to the Father. There's only one thing that will do that, and it's Jesus Christ. And he said, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy that was before him? It was you. It was you. It was me. He endured that cross so that we could be with him. So that we could have done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And because it is a cross of love, it's not mandated upon us. It's not demanded of us. It will always be our choice. So as we look at Christ, we're coming in for the landing on this picture of salvation found in him. He is the center of all things. And again, we'll look at this in different ways uh, moving in the, the days, you know, the, the weeks to come in our series. What we want to do wrapping up here this morning is just give a fresh opportunity to say, Jesus, be number one in everything. So let's do that. Let's do that. So Father, here today, we thank you so much for loving us and sending your son. Jesus, we're in awe of you. And just today, we want to acknowledge, we want to say that we're bowing our heart afresh and anew. We're asking you, Lord, to work in our lives. We're asking you to work 
in how we see our world around us. We're asking you to work in how we see you. We're asking you to work in what our hands do, what our feet do, what our eyes see, what our ears hear. Lord, our paradigms of life, our understanding of truth. Lord, our hopes, our aspirations. Lord, everything, every relationship, every pursuit. Jesus, we pray that you'd speak and work and bring our lives into alignment where you would be epicenter and that you would be supreme above it all. We trust you. We acknowledge you. We bow our lives to you. Lord, work in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen.